0: Well, hello, and welcome to a reason for hope. We're very glad you're joining us. A reason, <laughs> nice little wave there, Pastor Scott. Very professional. Uh, very professional. Yes, yeah. professional it's exactly broadcast. That's exactly what we you are. Get. <laughs> we are the pros for sure. A reason for hope is an hour-long uh, live broadcast, dedicated and guided by your Bible questions, for the most part. Questions that come in as we are live on all the various platforms through our email address as well. So, if you have questions. On god's word the bible we're here to delve into the scripture to find the answer to those so it could be a particular verse or a passage of scripture uh, maybe even the bible as a as a whole as a worldview and belief system maybe things going on in the world prophetic things maybe things that you're going through yourself uh, different issues of life really any honest question as long as you know we're going to delve into the bible to find those answers that's what we're all about here at a reason for hope so we're very glad that you're joining us to uh, follow along on our platforms and send your questions in. Do send them in early. We we often run out of time. We get some great questions, so get them in early, and I will be personally fielding them for you. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be your host today. and Like I say, on all those platforms, seeing what's going on, uh, fielding your questions and throwing them at these wonderful brothers over here to my right, your left, Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing today? Good. I had the treat this afternoon of
1: having some of the best chicken
0: tenders. Oh, you did? Where, where were they from? Raising canes, ironically. Really? Man. Well, you didn't, you didn't share. Do you have enough? Did you bring in some for the whole group? Not at this point. <laughs> probably a,
2: probably a little cold and soggy yeah. by now, too. Well, you can have as many of them as you like. Now, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> Next
0: time, maybe. Yeah. Next time. Also, <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Scott Richards. Here I am. Here man. he is. Yeah. He's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, where we're broadcasting from. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, we're getting... Uh, Well, I'm getting uh, uh, an audio
2: check there. Uh, We're getting ready to uh, continue our journey through the book of Ezekiel tonight, and we're going to be talking about uh, why we're still talking about the life of Ezekiel 2,600 years after it happened. Oh, nice. And uh, get some real insights into how we can live a life that really matters. And a really interesting way that God commissioned this man, and a lot of Mm. really applicable stuff, believe it or not. (laughs) If Ezekiel has blown your mind uh and uh you found yourself in a place where it just seemed like it was way way over your head uh i hope you'll come on out or, or join us uh on uh, our uh, video feed
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: i think uh, you're gonna find a real eye-opener very very applicable stuff
0: yeah very good yeah so if you're in the tucson arizona area you're welcome to come join us at 6 30 tonight or stick around on our live platforms the same platforms we're going out to you live now uh you'll be able to join the service as well so and if you're in first through fifth grade, you'll get to discuss what
1: the old and new covenants are. You're Gonna know, catch them young and teach them dispensationalism.
0: Oh, nice, <laughs> man. Now I'm torn where I want to be. <laughs> Maybe catch both
2: dispensationalism. Yeah, okay. That's a that, lot of syllables. That that that, that, that exceeds the five syllable word. A, yeah, a threshold word. of That's being what, intimidated.
0: <laughs> that'd be the, that'd be the word of the night. Yeah, yeah. for six year olds. <laughs> yes, yeah, man. Showing you, yeah. you're intense. It's yes. great. We definitely teach the Bible around here for sure. Uh, Well, once again, there are multiple ways that that you can join us. If you're listening to us on the radio, we're very glad you're there. Drive safely if you're on your drive time. Uh, You are listening to our last show pre-recorded, so you are a day late, so to speak. But But not a dollar short. But not a dollar short. (laughs) I hope not, no. Uh, But other than that, our other platforms are live as can be. Again, Reason for Hope is is live with you Monday through Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard. Time or wherever you are around uh, the world through the wonders of the internet as well Uh, it is a a, an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson as we've mentioned so you can go to our website calvarychristianfellowship.com follow the watch live tab that's right there that will take you to our live page where you'll see a schedule of uh, upcoming reason for hope shows and also our services here you'll see a countdown or if we're live which we are right now of course you'll see the video there and a chat function where you can sign in with a username and uh, be part of the broadcast that way and I'll be chatting with you on there as we go along the direct link is ccftucson.online.church but the easiest way is just to follow the link from our uh, calvarychristianfellowship.com website <clears throat> excuse me as I clear my throat also on uh, Facebook I sounded very English then um, you <laughs> I, always sound very English. well. I, sometimes I sound even more English to myself, and that's when you know I'm being very English. <laughs> Let me clear my throat. Yeah. On uh, Facebook, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. That's our page there, and of course you can keep up with um, events and all kinds of things. But of course, our live feed will be there as well, with the chat function there as well. Facebook.com/slash CCF Tucson is that direct link there. Don't forget on all these channels to like and share and subscribe and uh, click the bell on YouTube and all that good stuff. We'd love to get the word out to more people and uh, literally literally do that, get the word out to more people. So like and share, share it around, share with your friends, bring a friend, all that good stuff. We have an app uh, that you can use on your mobile device, your iPad or your iPhone or your Android, and also on Roku and Apple TV, so you can watch on your big screen if you have those devices. Just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. That's the name of our app and our channel. And you should be able to find us there as well. On YouTube, the channel is called A Reason for Hope. So you'll want to look for A Reason for Hope on YouTube. There are a couple of A Reason for Hope channels, I believe. So look for that picture of uh, Sean and Scott there in Israel, um, handsome men there standing together, father and son. Good stuff. Or just go to youtubecom A Reason for Hope 546. Let us know if you have any trouble finding any of these platforms. Also, Scott Richards here is on Twitter at scott r4h where he posts highlights from the show and he posts um kind of commentary on news events and world events but prophetic things and things like that so it's very interesting to follow along with him and to see some of those goings on in the world from a biblical and prophetic perspective so you can follow scott on there if you're a twitter kind of person last but not least i mentioned our email address which is questions for hope gmail.com questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com. You can email us there anytime and we get to those questions as well. And once again on the radio, you're listening to a pre-recorded version. So use that email address and we'll pick up on those and get to them on our next show. So with all that being said, Pastor Scott, would you pray for us before we go any <laughs> further? Be between, before we to. take another step. Yes. Let us uh, pray.
2: Father, thank you that we can invite your presence here. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, we can be led into all truth. By looking at your son jesus we can understand uh, all that we need to know about who you are and what your holiness is all about lord thank you that uh, you are perfect in all your ways compassionate uh, wonderful uh, powerful wise lord we seek that wisdom today we seek your presence and your perspective thank you lord that there's no problem in our life that we have Uh, no confusing set of circumstances where you can not lead us and guide us as uh, the good shepherd that you are. So Lord, we pray that this would be more than an intellectual exercise. We pray Mm -hmm. you'd touch our hearts and our spirits. And at the end of this broadcast, I pray that we'd be closer to you than we started. Uh, We thank you that that is your desire. Lord, we thank you that we can look with anticipation to you, speaking very special and personal things to us as we explore your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for that prayer. Thanks for being here, you guys. What a oh, blessing! You're to welcome. Have it you, is yeah. always a blessing. Yeah. Is there anything going on you want to share with us, Scott? You often have a bit of a. Yeah. Uh, just b- before we get rolling
2: here, uh, I was uh, perusing uh, the Jerusalem Post for matters prophetic. That's always a good site. Uh, to take a look at what's happening in Israel. But it was fascinating to me. You know what the number one trending story on the Jerusalem Post was today? Uh, it has this headline, Priest says he went to hell, wouldn't wish it on his own worst enemy. Wow. Well, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I guess if uh, you you saw, and and uh, I clicked, uh, obviously I clicked on the article, it was clickbait <laughs> obviously but it certainly, you know, yeah. hooked me in. And and uh, you know it had this very lurid picture of uh, you know a burning place and the devil and all this other stuff. And I thought, oh, you know, I mean, is this uh, you know overstating the case? Well, uh, the article says priest Gerald Johnson from Michigan claimed to have visited hell after suffering a heart attack and said the experience changed his life forever. I wouldn't wish it on my own worst enemy, he said. Uh, Johnson posted his claims in a series of TikTok videos, which is my go-to place for deep theology, <laughs> uh, and claimed that he was sent to hell in February of 2016 after his heart attack. In one of his uh, viral videos, which got 3.7 million views, by the way, Johnson said that he indeed saw the real hell. He said, I was there. Uh, I don't care what my own worst enemy did to me. No one deserves that, uh, which is an interesting statement in and of itself. Uh, the priest from Michigan described the moment when he was launched into the center of the earth, where, where he says hell is. And there is a picture of uh, grinning Satan uh, welcoming you, I guess, into his infernal uh, realms there. Mm. He said, My spirit left my physical body, and I thought I was on my way to heaven. I thought I did so much good during my life and that I helped so many people, but even so, I went down to hell. I entered the very center of the earth. The things I saw there were indescribable. It brings up so many difficult feelings when I talk about it. Johnson, a priest of seven years, described some of the things he witnessed when he visited hell, including a man walking on all fours like a dog and getting burned from head to toe. His eyes were bulging, and worse than that, the the bulging or the burning, I'm not sure which, he was wearing chains on his neck. He was like a hellhound. There was a demon holding the chains. He added that, like, telepathically, I knew that the demon was sent in this man's life to ride him from his childhood to his death. Johnson explained that the demon oh. knows if he succeeds in making people not serve God and do bad things, he will overpower them in hell where they will be his slaves. Okay. Uh, he continued saying there is a—this <laughs> is the highlight. I think you'll really like this, Dave, or maybe not like <laughs> this. This will scare the hell out of you can't if wait you'll to find pardon out. the expression— <laughs> He said there's a section of hell where music is played. Uh-oh. He said he heard songs like Rihanna's Umbrella and Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy.
0: <laughs> that well, would be torturous. Well, I mean, that was a great song, but... <laughs> on repeat for eternity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'll need yeah. more than that.
2: Sounds nice, right? No. He said that it's not the original artists who sing the songs. Well, oh. at least we know Rihanna and Bobby McFerrin aren't there. Yeah. Uh, but a group of demons that use the words to torture us. In other words, don't worry, be happy while you're burning, yeah, yeah. I guess would be. Right, he said, worry. every word of the, of every song was made to torture you for the fact that you didn't worship God through music while you were on the earth. Okay. Uh, then he revealed how he escaped hell ah. and returned to earth. He said, I was angry with God because I did so much good in my life and ended up in hell. I rose up out of hell and returned to earth and God spoke to me. He said, you were secretly angry with people who harmed you. You hoped I would punish them. These are not your people, these are my people. I just want you to focus on the task I've given to you. Even though I did good, the thing I had in my heart was a lack of forgiveness for people who wronged me. Mm. A man who cannot forgive is a man who forgot he was forgiven. That is my experience in hell. It is a completely real place. Wow. So, millions of views on TikTok. What are we to make of people who have visions? Yep. Line. And this is not unique. Um, and, it, and certainly I think if you want to uh, break the internet or sell a bunch of books or be invited on talk shows, you know, say you had a near-death experience and uh, say that you saw the afterlife, either heaven or hell. We've seen movies made about people claiming to have this experience uh, lately yep major actors like Greg Kinnear and others starring in them mm-hmm. uh, you know we've uh, seen uh, titles with uh, 23 minutes in hell and mm-hmm. things like this and uh, they they always do seem to pique people's uh, attention uh, the you know the the issues I think that we need to work through here first of all uh, are, are these do people get a chance to see the afterlife and come back is that mm. a biblical concept Sean
1: well mm. we have I can name one right off the bat, but then when I was going to say the number one, I can note specifically three, if Isaiah and Ezekiel count. Mm. But the specific nature of the afterlife, it depends on one factor and one factor alone, and one that I grieve to say this priest apparently forgot. When we're talking about what is the difference between heaven and hell, it's your fellowship with God. It's being with God or being separated from God in the sense that you are cut off from from the kind of fellowship you were created for when we're given these lurid examples and these rip-offs from the theogony's underworld and dante's and uh, divine comedy and so forth specifically the chapter on the inferno we already need not just red flags but if there's a in british football if there's something that just like bans you from the game forever maybe a black flag or something i don't know that is what needs to be going up because yeah. when we're talking about this issue prophecy, sp- false prophecy specifically, is not to be taken lightly. When we're told anything about anything concerning the afterlife, God's revelation of himself, we refer to that as prophecy, speaking on behalf of God as a human agent. And in First Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, don't despise prophecies. Right. Someone says, oh, I went to heaven or I went to hell. Don't despise it, don't dismiss it out of hand, someone says something, that's not the crime, test all things, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. When it comes to our metric for whether or not someone's vision is legitimate, we look to legitimate visions and compare details to see if they're in conflict with one another. And in the case of this man, we'd probably have to do the inverse, because the one I was thinking of was Paul the Apostle's vision, which could be verified not just through his life, but also verified by the apostles who also saw the risen Lord and could put their money where their mouth was in recognizing what God said and what God didn't say, what was consistent with God's revelation of himself and what was just coming out of his hat, so to speak. And Paul the Apostle's vision of paradise was, interestingly enough, about as brief as a TikTok video itself. When it comes to what he could put into words, he said, I have none. In yeah, fact, he was really he,
2: tight-lipped about it, wasn't he?
1: Not just tight-lipped. He said, if I could use my lips, I would, but there would be a crime to p- try to put this into language, 2 Corinthians 12 tells us. There were words, sounds, everything had one word in description, inexpressible. Right. There was nothing in this life that it could be compared to. So when we ask the question, what is a legitimate encounter, it would line up with the people who have been verified as truthful. And in this man's case, you say, well, that was heaven. Hell is completely expressible, right? Not so fast. Because when we look at every single illustration, every single description or Uh, even note of comparison, couplets, used to describe the status of being separated from God, there are generally three references that people will look for. First is the lake of fire. That's the most common, noted in Revelation chapter 20, which by the way hasn't happened yet. The state of capital H hell that this priest advertises, unless he was fast-forwarded in time to the Great White Throne Judgment, and was not written in the Book of Life, that would not only be a permanent status of separation from God, but it would not include any hellhounds or uh, odes to Rihanna a la demons. (laughs) Also note, uh, or is it Rihanna? I don't care. Uh, When we're talking about the question of, okay, Lake of Fires, is that the only description? No. We're also told in the Gospel of Luke and Matthew, it was described as outer darkness in a not parable per se, but an overview of the end times, is the place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, not so that they would rule, but so that they would be departed from God. Jesus saying, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's the only description, the only purpose, the only status of this state we know as hell. Now, what's interesting about that is, given your experience with fire, you know that it tends to give off light. And yet, for some reason, this place of separation from God is also described as outer darkness. So how do we make the comparison? Well, note that in both cases, something, this was an observation from C.S. Lewis, that we couldn't understand. Notice the common theme that was also used for heaven is being compared to and described with terms that we can understand right, right. and if that then is the idea what do outer darkness and a lake of fire both have in common well i think it reaches its point its peak its right to the heart of the issue in the third illustration jesus uses in the gospel of matthew where he compares it to gehenna or the valley of hinnom now You and I have visited the Valley of Hinnom. We got to see it in all of its lack of glory. And uh, no hellhounds, no um, Rihanna songs or uh, Ariana Grande, whatever. Don't worry, be happy. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I could put it on my iPod if you want, but I'd probably burst into flames. (laughs) The point being made, though, is this. What was Gehenna? It was an actual physical place on this earth that was used once... Just a beautiful meadow valley, but because during the time of Solomon all the way to the Babylonian exile was a place set up to appease Solomon's wives as a place of human sacrifice, an altar to the pagan god Moloch was built there, Right, a place of such evil, it was converted into a garbage dump. And since they didn't have the technology of sanitation and disposal that we have now, like in the Middle East still to this day, what generally happens is they burn their garbage whether it's buckets of waste, whether it's, you know, unused or unusable clothes and so forth, or even dead animals and bodies. These, if they weren't given a proper burial, these places were set aside. Gehenna, in particular, was Jerusalem's designated spot. It's just take your unmentionables over there. All of them, outer darkness, lake of fire, the valley of Hinnom, had one thing in common, not the place you wanted to be. Now, the priest is right in that we wouldn't wish separation from God, the definition of hell, on our worst enemy. In fact, it was noted to his point that when we were enemies of God, he gave his life for us. And that he also, to his credit, is affirming true statements in scripture that if you do not forgive men your trespasses and sins, the Father will not forgive you your trespasses and sins. Now this isn't a salvific disqualification. How do you lose your salvation? Oh, I forgot to forgive that person at one time. Oh no, I'm in hell now. It's making the point of where God's priorities are at. So note that just as a side note. But this is the point that's being made. In direct conflict and contradiction with what God has actually revealed to us, people who perform public miracles, people who are consistent with the Old and New Testaments revelations of who God was, and, of course, being accountable under capital punishment for anything they said in contrast to the first two points, would then make them accepted or rejected as far as whether these videos should be taken seriously. Right, And this is the problem. If someone can speak without accountability, they tend to not shut up. And the point being made is, what we need to be careful with is that when someone says something, even on this program, the fact that it was said even by a priest, even by a pastor, even by a guy with a red beard, but for some reason blonde hair at the same time, It's all irrelevant if it isn't true. And if those details actually matter to you, whether this is true or not, you compare it to what you can already know is true, what you can test as true, what you can test the credentials for at its face value. Paul put his credentials on the table, and you can read them in Philippians 3, 1 Corinthians 15, and verse 8, and many others. But when he's telling you this is why you listen to me, that's also why you do or don't listen to these other people. People who, I won't attribute motive, but in this case we know he's lying. Maybe he had you know, a bad fish taco and the burning sensations were uh, coupled with the heart attack and that's what his brain processed during that time of low oxygen. The point being made is this. If someone says something that is in conflict with scripture, then you have to decide which one to trust. And I have more reason to trust scripture than this priest, who, and this is the real kicker here, said he went to hell. Why? Or rather, he was angry that he went to hell. Why? Because of his metric of what made someone worthy to go to heaven. Mm. And that was what? I had done so much good in my life. I had helped so many people. Mm. As a priest, I had hoped he had read Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. Let me just summarize this. This is quoting the Old Testament, by the way. There is none righteous, no, not one. Mm. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. In the the original Hebrew, this is quoting the Psalms, by the way. What is that word unprofitable usually compared to? It literally means uh, like milk that's gone sour. Not only is it gross, anything it comes in contact with is unusable at that point. Mm. It continues on. There is, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. I agree. The poison of asps, that's another word for a cobra, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. He confessed to that. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. Now, here is the real definer of someone who is separate from God and in need of a savior. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, two verses later, it notes that by the deeds of the law, the good things you do, the people that you help, no flesh. Anyone here qualify? You got flesh? Yeah. You got flesh? I got flesh. We got categorized as flesh. Will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, the good news is it doesn't end there, or this would be a very depressing religion. (laughs) Verses 21 all the way through 26 go on to note what the gospel is, and we'll get to that more in a moment. But when you see someone not just in direct conflict with scripture, someone who's broadcasting these sort of things, whether it's for social media notoriety, whether it's for a sincere but misplaced sense of what the afterlife awaits, and Ultimately formed from a sheer ignorance of Scripture rather than informed by it, even if it is seven years old at this time, it is still false today. We need to have high standards for the sort of things that people are telling us, not just about God, but our relationship with Him here and in the hereafter. This is how we go to heaven. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, So, not just helping people, not just being good, but Mm -hmm. being so good that you match up with the definition of good himself. Note this, through faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a ransom, a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, here's the foundation of this all, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just, meaning fair, and the justifier, the one who makes us fair, of the one who has faith in Jesus. Mm. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope. Because of Jesus, Mm -hmm. we have hope. I'll be talking to the grade schoolers about this tonight. But this is essentially the foundation of what we call the new covenant. I have reasons to trust Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because of his death and his resurrection, he says, if I live, you will live also. Do you believe this? Mm -hmm. The person who acknowledges that from the heart is not only not going to go to hell, regardless of this priest's version of it, but even more importantly is welcomed into fellowship with God forever. Not because we're so good, but regardless of us, He is that good. Mm -hmm. If that's your hope, then note, God can be good regardless of whether or not I'm bad. God's capacity to keep His promises is a lot better than us making promises
2: after near-death experiences to Him. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I think the other thing that I, I just would add to that is uh, whenever you have somebody say they had an, a near-death experience, like this fellow says he had a heart attack and then he had this vision and so on, I think it's really important for us to understand uh, you know, a really important gateway verse that can keep us out of uh, a peck of confusion in our lives. In the book of Hebrews, we're told it's given to man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. Mm. Um, you know, when we talk about hell, uh, the, maybe the greatest, most up-close-and-personal view of hell we see in scriptures in Luke 16, uh, where we see the rich man and Lazarus, where the, the rich man is in torment, well, Abraham tells him there's a great gulf fixed. In other words, those who are there are there. Um, they can't cross over uh, to the other side. And so when people say they have these visions, either of heaven or of hell, I'm always really dubious about it for a couple of reasons. Number one, mm. as you pointed out, Sean, it's amazing how restrained the message of the Bible is mm. regarding the afterlife.
0: Mm.
2: Um, you know, eye has not seen, nor ears heard, nor entered in the mind of man those things which God has prepared for those who love him. Even the book of Revelation, where we get a, a glimpse of the heavenly throne room and what worship of God is all about. And even... Uh, a picture of the eternal state two chapters Mm, right you know devoted to it (laughs) yeah um you know and so when people write these books that thick and you know go on these long lurid excursions about what they saw first of all it just seems very uh out of harmony uh out of step uh with the way the afterlife is presented to us in scripture uh you know as far as heaven is concerned it is uh, an important thing for us to understand that one of the reasons we don't get like, you know, the, uh, you know, well, Paul says, you know, I saw the third heaven and, and here you go, I'm going to write a whole book called third heavens and you can read all about it. Mm -hmm. um, You know, is this, and, and I think this is something that I've heard you Sean say on the program and I think it bears repeating. Heaven is about a relationship. You know, it does have properties according to revelation chapters 20 and, through uh, 22. We will see various features in heaven. It's not just some, you know, state of consciousness or ethereal uh, otherworldly realm, Mm. but it's more about a relationship. Jesus said in John 17 3, this is eternal life. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one whom you've sent. Now, if that's how the Bible views heaven, conversely, what can we know About hell. You know, earlier this week, uh, Terry Michaels, who's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Austin, Texas, uh, posted this on his Twitter feed, and I thought it was really interesting. He quoted the passage in uh, Genesis chapter 4, where it says, Cain left the presence of the Lord. He said, this is the greatest of tragedies. There is no life outside of God's presence. No peace, no rest, no joy, no hope, no light, only darkness. Seek his presence, friend. It is everything. So, wow. you know, when, you know, there's a lot of things that we could point out that are, you know, kind of flawed theologically. Oh, I was such a good person. What am I doing here? You mentioned Sean, there's no one who does good, right. <clears throat> you know? And so if this guy knew his Bible and evidently he'd studied long enough to be a priest, probably perused the Bible a few times. He probably know that, Yeah. Um, you know, so we have to test all things and hold fast what is good. Will people see visions? in the last days, dream dreams, yeah, the scripture says that will happen, but we have to test these things according to the word of God. Secondly, near-death experiences are just that. They're near death. Mm. You know, in other words, people will be, you know, flatlined for, you know, know, a a matter of minutes or so, and then they'll be revived, and they'll come back, and they'll say, oh, you know, I I saw all these things, or I saw this light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Well... Okay, how do you know that light at the end of the tunnel wasn't an oncoming train? Secondly, how do you know under those extreme circumstances where you're, you know, brain starved of oxygen, yeah, where you're being in, in uh, invested with all kinds of chemicals right. and uh, probably painkillers and mood-altering, perception-altering drugs, at least as a uh, a, a sidelight of all that, how do you know that's not what's telling this tale? Yeah, um, You don't. And, you know, people say, well, I had one, and it was beautiful, and it changed my life. Well, good on you. Mm -hmm. I'm glad it was a blessing to you. But my hope of heaven is not based on someone seeing something or or recounting details that they couldn't have known any other way or, you know, some of these uh, books, and sometimes they end up getting debunked a little ways later. And that's where I think the hook comes in. You know, you buy into somebody's experience for your hope of heaven well, what happens when that person ends up having their credibility shot uh, or yeah. saying, oh, yeah, I just kind of made it up, and everybody's kind of pushing me in this direction, like one of the famous accounts of uh, the afterlife uh, that was recently uh, a big deal that ended up being. Here's why I believe in an afterlife. because Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 19, because I live, you'll live also. Right. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Mm-hmm. And one of his disciples, Thomas, said, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way mm-hmm. and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Not a good life, not, yeah. you know, forgiving people. That's mm-hmm. how I get into to heaven and all this stuff. Um, no, it, it's by the grace of Jesus Christ. Yeah plus nothing. And, and so be very careful about these sort of things and I know we'll probably get um, emails and in texts of people saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, I had this experience or my best friend had this experience and it was right. just, you know, and everybody's been blessed by it. Oh, okay. Your miracle. Okay, wonderful. Uh, but just because someone says they have this experience doesn't mean you put your bible away. Yep. yep. And and even if someone does have this experience, uh, you know my hope of everlasting life has got to be based on God's word the character of Jesus Christ the yeah. historical hardcore evidence for his death and resurrection from the dead yeah. uh, because anything else is, is kind of shifty it's it's stuff that you really can't rely on it what happens
0: if the credibility of the person's yanked away right well then so is your faith right yeah right that's right yeah wow very interesting thank yeah. you thanks for sharing that uh well lots of, lots of questions we have. Um, coming in. I had a question from Kennedy. This question will kind of blow your mind if I can read it right. If God exists outside of our time and our prayers in the future get answered according to something that happened in the past, does God somehow answer prayers that we will pray in the future for an immediate circumstance? But I think the overall question could be, how does God being outside of time interact with us being inside of time? God's eternal. We have time. And how does that all kind of interact through prayer and I guess
1: that's the assumption is never the twain shall meet. Is God allowed Mm. to step into time, not just how, but when he chooses? Right. And also noting his timing, knowing the end from the beginning, can he be trusted to know exactly when in that timeline to answer the prayer? Mm. If, in fact, your prayers are always requests for him to act, which isn't always the purpose of prayer, but that's another issue. Um, Mm -hmm. When we're talking about the... Nature of the universe, space, time, and matter, and the fact that there's an eternal being outside of it that introduced space, time, and matter. A timeless being obviously isn't made of the stuff that he introduced. I think that's fair. But if we ask the question, okay, so how does God answer our prayers? We can do it one of three ways. We can examine the results and ask, okay, is this coincidence? Is this providence? Or is this circumstance? Coincidence would obviously be, oh, I associate this situation with what I asked of God, but it doesn't necessarily mean God acted. Maybe things just went in a positive direction. And note, that is a sound conclusion Christians can come to. If there's, on the other hand, providence that God's direct handedness, there's no other explanation than God made sure that this happened, then that would be something to be thankful for because it directly tied into your prayer. But of course, the weakness of that is you need very high standards so you ended up like the priest we talked about in the previous question, saying everything in my life is a miracle from God. Not necessarily the case. The last is, of course, circumstance. Things in this life go well and go bad. We have the opportunity to thank God for the good things he's given us in a system that works despite being in a broken code, if you will. Yeah. So we need to essentially have a high standard, not just for answered prayer, but also a high standard for the purpose of prayer, not to say my will be done, but to ask what God's will is in this situation and to align my desires with his, to align my will with his. If you want what God wants, then you're essentially setting yourself up for providence every time. Circumstance, coincidence, and providence all become one because you're just going through your life and seeing God do what he was going to do anyway. On the other hand, your goal is to be in opposition to God, then circumstances and providence may, in fact, conflict with one another. And you're going to have to sort out which is which. I like less math. That's just me. I I like having to test things as little as possible Mm -hmm. and just say, you know what, I have the opportunity here to be thankful or an opportunity to just admire the fact that God knows what he's doing even when I don't. Yeah. The point of emphasis about the you know sticky business of time is the assumption that God functions in his own timeline, which isn't true, mm. that he's you know somewhere in the future intervening in right. the past as opposed to we're awaiting the future, but God knows it. Be careful with the assumptions that God is a time-based being. He invented it. He's not subject to it, but he is allowed to act within it. Uh, if you want to talk about the a and b theories of time we can do back to the future versus uh avengers uh, infinity war illustrations yeah. all the yes, long day yeah. <laughs> but um coming next week yeah but the point being made kennedy i think is just the most straightforward one if you have a god big enough to know not only how he answers his prayers but also when then these things will sort themselves out just make sure that you have high standards for what god is doing and you also mm-hmm. have a high standard for the God who's doing those things, that he'll do the things well, not do the things that we may just have messed up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the only thing I'd add to that, I think that's great. Uh, The only thing I'd add to it is, uh, you know, in 1 John 5, we're told if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have the request which we have made of him. You know, I I think of, uh, you know, Psalm 34 where it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Mm. Well, these are conditional statements. Uh, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In other words, you know, we can say anything to God in prayer. And the old saying is true. God reserves the right to answer our prayers in one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, yes, I love. No, I can probably live with. But wait is the toughest one because Mm -hmm. impatience has to have its perfect work within Mm -hmm. my life. You know, when we come to God and we pray in Jesus' name, I think, Kennedy, the the deep issue involved here uh, is this. Well, maybe... Right now, I'm praying about something, but I'll have a better perspective on it later. Would God allow that later prayer to supersede my mm. current prayer and situation right now? Yeah. Uh, some people, you know, are you know kind of like uh, the old uh, Fred Allen saw about uh, sowing their wild oats six days a week and coming to church on Sunday and praying for crop failure. Um, you know, the, the the idea behind all of that is. Uh, the the notion that somehow we can pray in the future so that some bad decision that we have made in the past could somehow get rectified because God's Mm. not limited by time. Well, A, God isn't limited by time. He sees the end from the beginning. He describes himself as the one who was and is and is to come. He is the I am that I am. He's the timeless one. Uh, and, And so time, as we understand and experience it, is something very different from how God experiences it, the one who created time, because time is inextricably linked to matter and energy in this universe. God's beyond all of that. So in, in a sense, that's right. But really, I think what it comes down to is this. Do we trust God that even if we come to God and say, make a really bonehead prayer, mm. you know, and say, oh, God, I really want this, I really want this, please, 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 and God goes, oh, okay, but you'll regret it later, you know. Yeah. No, God says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That, it isn't that that if we ask anything according to his will, he turns down his miracle ear and, hey, eh? what was that, Sonny? I can't hear you. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's not. It's the idea of hearing with a favorable outcome. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so what the, these passages are teaching is if we want favorable outcomes in our lives, we need to pray according to Jesus' name. What does that mean? Well, if I act in the name of someone, say someone asks me to be the executor of their will, I'm acting in the name of the person who put that will together. That person dies and I'm the executor. I don't have the freedom to say, well, I just don't agree with what that guy said about how his uh, assets should be distributed. I think Mm. I can do a better job. No, my job is to make sure that the wishes of the one in whose name I'm acting are followed through. And that's what happens when we pray in Jesus' name. It's not some open sesame mystical magical formula that twists God's arm, you know, punches the right uh, button on God's vending mm-hmm. machine in heaven and we get what we want. No, praying in Jesus' name is coming before the Lord and saying, look, Lord, in this situation, man, you know what my desires are. You know uh, you know what my passion is in this situation. But nevertheless, like Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. Now, in the faith movement, they would say that's a faith killer, and you're giving yourself an out that you don't really have to trust mm-hmm. God. Uh, you need to demand from God and believe God for your... No, I don't think that's a faith killer. I think that's a faith fulfiller. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm saying is, God, I believe you're the, gi- the giver of good and perfect gifts. This is something that I look upon in my life as a good and perfect gift, but I believe you know best. Mm-hmm. Just give me what you want. Yeah. You know, and, and as we approach prayer... No matter where we are in the time continuum, <laughs> if you want to use that e- expression, no matter where we are in, in this this uh, you know span from you know the cradle to the grave, uh, God takes all of these things into account. You know, God doesn't look and say, "Oh, Kennedy prayed this prayer yesterday, and two days later, oh man, I never would have thought that would have happened to Kennedy." I'm so shocked and surprised. If I'd known about that, I never would have answered Kennedy's prayer in this way. No, God is omniscient he knows everything he knows the end from the beginning he's got all the days of our life written in our book so then people say well then why pray mm-hmm. god's got it all figured out right. why pray yeah. well a couple things first of all jesus told us to pray and not lose heart so evidently our prayers really do matter mm-hmm. god can use our prayers in a spiritual way to accomplish his will and we get to con- to uh, contribute in a sense to what god is doing in this world participate with him in this world mm-hmm. As we pray, Uh, prayer also deepens our trust in the Lord because as we pray specifically for things, it also kind of uh, adjusts our antenna to be able to see, wow, God really is active and involved within my life. But prayer, contrary to what you may have heard on Christian television, isn't uh, how we get what we want from God. It's how God gives us what he knows we need. Mm. And, And I think if we come at prayer from that point of view, and realize that God sees the big picture, Mm. we're going to be anxious to pray because we want to hang out and spend time with God, not just because it's a great way to grab goodies from the Almighty, Uh, we're going to want to have that fellowship with Him. Uh, We're also going to be able to see in answer to specific prayer that God is is definitely invested and involved with our lives. Mm. And we're also going to see that as we learn to pray in Jesus' name, God's going to use that to change my desires. It's going to change my desires to line up with his. Yeah. And that's always a good thing. Yeah. So, you know, I think when we have that perspective on prayer, then some of these, uh, you know, time continuum, Marvel movie uh, conundrums, uh, you know, I, I I don't think we have to sit down and look at, uh, you know, a million and 80 different outcomes that could happen and how the timeline is going to be affected yeah. if I don't pray this prayer this right way. Right, right. We can trust God that he's got all of this. Yeah,
0: right? absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Kenny, great, great question. Hope that helps you out in your prayer life. Um, these things are, can be mind-boggling, but so I was going to say, that was great, Scott, if you get my pun.
1: Great, Scott, back ah, to the future. Ah.
0: Okay. All right, well, moving on. A <laughs> uh, question here from uh, someone who wanted to remain anonymous. I uh, wanted some tips on being a Christian in a secular job or environment. The person feels very just exhausted and demoralized. Um I mean, we the three of us are blessed. We work here at the church, and I've often thought about what a blessing that is. We get to talk about God. We kind of come from the same standpoint of, you know, standards and things like that, but I admire. Oh, I've, I've had
2: secular jobs, though.
0: Yeah, me too, me
2: too. And, and you know, and, you know here's a newsflash for you. Just because you're working in the church doesn't mean that somehow the church and working in a church uh, isn't made up of human beings, just right. like <laughs> jobs out there in the big bad world. Yeah. Uh, in my experience in church, I've uh, worked under fantastic bosses Mm. i i've worked under bosses that were kind of absentee Mm. uh i've worked under bosses that were no different than the kind of boss that you would get if uh, they were a graduate from franklin covey business organization Mm. things i've i've worked under some bosses i would have to say and i you know with a brokenness of heart were hypocritical where i really Mm. kind of look back on them and really wonder if they knew the lord at all Uh. Uh, and that's in the church. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the thing I would say is if you find yourself in that set of circumstances, uh, you know, what I would really encourage you to do is read the book of Daniel. Mm. Daniel and Nehemiah, I think, are two really, really mm. good books to read. No. And you're just making Donald Trump gestures Oh yeah, Yeah, um. exactly. They're, they're luxurious. <laughs> <laughs> Nehemiah. They're, they're the best. Nehemiah. Yeah, if, if you, do you still have that on? Oh, yeah. on, yeah, on uh, Sean's uh, ShadyOak.com website, he does a uh, Donald Trump uh, does the book of Nehemiah uh, that is just hilarious. Mm-hmm. So, Legitimate yeah. Bible study. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he does it as Donald Trump, which is really great. But uh, anyway... Uh, you know, read <laughs> Nehemiah because Nehemiah had guess, to work yeah. for the king of the Medo-Persian Empire,? Right. And he was an excellent employee. And uh, you know, I think there's some real insights. He also had to be an employer in the sense that he had to oversee uh, the uh, the incredible uh, administrative work of uh, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem yeah. and uh, and managing God's people. So really important insights there. The other thing that I would encourage you to do is read the book of Daniel because Daniel's whole story is how you survive mm. in a very secularized corporate world, right. oftentimes uh, arrayed directly against Daniel, and he couldn't say it was nothing personal. It was. Uh, <laughs> he, he did such a great job. The old th- saying was, uh, well, if you can't join him and keep up with his pace, let's beat him. Mm-hmm. You know, Let's find something about his faith to sabotage mm-hmm. him. And You know, when I, I hear somebody saying that they're kind of exhausted— in their work, um, you know they're they're they're, they're yep. tired in their work. You know, one of the things that I think creates exhaustion and tiredness, or even boredom, uh, or sometimes out and out depression,
0: mm.
2: is a lack of understanding that there is a purpose behind right. our work, that that yep. God has put you in this place for a distinct reason. Mm. Um, you know, when we we take a look at Ephesians chapter six, it has some really wonderful things to say about uh, bondservants mm. and how we're not to serve our earthly masters with eye service, but we're serving the Lord Christ. Mm. And one of the things that I discovered, uh, not just in my church situation, but even the secular situation, I worked in radio and television, I did some mm. time working in banking, uh, some other jobs that I've had down through time. But uh, one of the things that, that I discovered is, is if I went to work Not working for that boss, but working for Jesus. You know, okay, Lord, you've got me here. You know, say that church situation where, you know, I think the leadership was really questionable as far as whether they knew God or not. Mm -hmm. Well, that was between them and the Lord. My point of view was, okay, God, you've put me here for a reason. I have a certain influence over a certain aspect and ministry within this church. I want to be found faithful to you Mm -hmm. doing that. And I don't want to follow these other people's example. I want to keep my heart alive until you move me on to some other place. Now, if you're exhausted because they're asking you to do something immoral or illegal, uh, then I think you have to draw a line. Mm. And uh, and then I think you have to trust God that God can provide another means uh, to be able to make a living. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you know, don't don't exclude that possibility and. And sometimes, you know, that sense of restlessness or that sense of being tired or, or exhausted could be God's way of saying, you know, I've got something else for you. Yeah. I've got other people I want you to minister to, but you've got to look outside your box. You know, I don't know how long you've been in your job. You know, I don't know you know, what other training you have. I don't know if, you know, your, your resume, your marketable skills and all of this. I, I don't know about any of that. But, you know, oftentimes... Uh, we can get locked in because we lack vision. Mm. You know, we just go, well, this is it. And I got to stay here. And well, what else am I going to do? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'd I'd be very careful about that. You know, the other thing is Chuck Swindoll wrote a great book on the book of Ecclesiastes. It it was uh, called The Lonely Wine of the Top Dog and uh, you know it was about Solomon's observation and Solomon gets into all these things about you know your labor under the Sun and mm-hmm. you know having people under you and having people over you and things like this and uh, Chuck Swindoll is just a really uh, on target guy as far as practical application is concerned and great illustration so uh, you know again I get a hold of Chuck Swindoll's commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes it's uh, you know it's not written in a hardcore commentary form uh, you know, it, it's, it's very readable. It's, it's very accessible.
0: Mm. And I think it can encourage you in these ways. Yeah. Anything you'd add to that? What was the name of the book again? The commentary? The, it was called the lonely wine of the top dog. The lonely wine the top dog. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To, but but to, just in
1: summary, there's nothing wrong with seeking out another job, if there's no joy in it, but don't think that that lack of joy is a
0: reason to quit on its own. Mm. Very good. Well, I hope that helps you out. Um, we'll be praying for you in uh, that environment that, uh, that you're in going through. Thank you for your question. Uh, Question from Roxanne. We've got about five minutes left here. Um, Can you explain why Canaan was cursed and not Ham, or was Ham cursed as well? question from Roxanne. Um, You're referencing Genesis chapter 9. Let me read the passage.
1: This is verse 20. Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. When he drank the wine and was drunk, he became uncovered in his tent, and Ham, the father of Canaan, so notice Ham had multiple children, but Canaan specifically in mind is his father, saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it both on their shoulders, went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away. They did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, A servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. Then he goes on to note that he would be a servant to Shem and to Japheth, who would both be enlarged. Now, what's interesting about Canaan is that he of Ham's mentioned five notable sons, you can read this in the next chapter in Genesis 10, is the one that Israel. The one Moses is recording Genesis's history and speaking to would have problems with in the future. Right. And there would be other interactions as well. But of all of Ham's descendants, this one singled out because it was relevant to the immediate historical audience. That's first. Second, is while the Bible is certainly uh, oftentimes not as subtle as we'd like to think when it comes to discussing matters that are a little bit PG 13, if you will, there or are people, beyond. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There are people who read into this that Ham did something sexually to his father and then that was the result of this curse, but then you'd have to again ask two questions. One, why is it that both in Hebrew and in English this is entirely within the context of visually seeing their father naked in disrespect, note that in a moment, but also noting that the curse would be on Canaan, not on what Ham did. Yeah, And that's the real crux of this matter. Ham wasn't cursed. Canaan was cursed. Why? Because Canaan related to Ham as a what? A father. Ham related to Noah as a what? Son. Yeah. Related to Noah. Did I say Canaan? Ham related to Noah as his father. So if he saw his father and mocked him, he was disrespectful towards him. What do you think that set the example for for Canaan relating to his father? The cycle of disrespect, of dishonoring your father and mother, has consequences going down the line, and that's why this curse was leveled. And again, well-intended people would note that this is all this uh, uncovering your father's nakedness. Moses, the same author, used the same language in Leviticus to refer to sexual interaction. Yes, in that context. But you, being the one who knows the languages here, whether you want to get into the semantics of Raoul or Weyar, entirely within the context of visually. And that was all that was taking place here. It was disrespect perpetuated among generations.
2: Yeah. And, you know, again, we'd be benef- benefited if we had more information. Mm. Um, we don't know. Exactly what Canaan did—that uh, would uh, have brought down the curse of a biblical patriarch like Noah on him. We just know that he was a part of this whole sordid, disrespectful incident that was precipitated by the fact—the fact that Noah was drunk. You know, he got drunk and he was lying in his tent in a very uh, uh, disrespectful way, as far as his position before God and it just seemed like the ball got rolling downhill
1: and it's kind of an aside but how ironic Adam fell as a result of his engagement with the fruit and it affected his descendants Noah after the big reset so to speak now he starts to engage sinfully with a fruit and now that impacts his descendants as well (laughs) yeah yeah
2: there's definitely a theme there you know I I would have to say that uh, you know we can't be dogmatic about that but the fact of the matter is uh, that curse was given and it stuck I think the lack of respect motif in all of this does give great insight into this.
1: Real quick, we have time for this. Denny, you've been very patient. I want to get to it. He wanted to know about Genesis 45, 8, where Joseph says he was made a father to Pharaoh. Obviously, that's not biological. What's the intended translation, the word ab? If you look it up in any Hebrew to English concordance, it can mean a physical progenitor, but it can also mean an elder, someone in authority. We note several times that Pharaoh put Joseph in authority over everything except what the pharaoh would eat. The same yeah. thing with the prison guard, the same thing with Potiphar.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. chronological, but probably more a position of respect. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah.
0: Well, well, good job on that. Well, we're out of time, <laughs> stick around at 6.30. We're going to be going through the book of Ezekiel on the same channels here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, and if not, we'll see you same time, same places tomorrow. Thank you for being part of the broadcast. We'll get to more of your questions. God bless you.